Not a matter of if, but when a crisis could rock your world. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. In each case file, we explore a real-world crisis or a ripped-from-the-headlines challenge. My crisis squad and I are here to find solutions. We also ask community leaders to weigh in as they find themselves in the midst of challenges. In all cases, our suggestions are meant to help you handle your own crisis or prevent crises from happening. We do not provide legal, financial, medical, or PR advice for particular situations, but strongly recommend you seek out professionals to help with your specific need. Jonathan Weinhagen is here today. He's the president and CEO of the Minneapolis Regional Chamber. He's taken a key role in helping the Twin Cities and surrounding regions business community navigate seismic changes over the events of the last few years. From increased crime, the rise of remote work, emptying downtown office buildings, working through a worldwide supply chain crisis, and more. Just how can cities thrive moving forward? In the case file I call, Are Downtowns Dead? Jonathan, I mentioned crime and remote work, two of the things that affect the dynamic of urban centers across the country. You were recently speaking about this at a national conference. The quick answer is no. The future of downtowns is bright. You know, I always say the first step in recovery is admitting you've got a problem, and we do. We absolutely have a problem with regards to how we've looked at our downtowns historically and where they're going to be into the future. The quicker we can move beyond glorifying the past and into what that new future looks like, the better off we're going to be as a city and as a region. You have to kind of paint a rosy picture because of your role. So let's just get to the brass tacks here. How long is it going to take for some of these cities to get back to vibrancy? Here's the deal. There are going to be winners and losers in this economic recovery and in the new normal of what cities are. A very un-Minnesotan thing, but I absolutely believe that we're positioned to be a winner in this mix. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take potentially years. I think it could be quicker than that. And we're already seeing some examples of this. You know, I look at proof points. Let's just go outside of the urban core into the burbs. Five, ten years ago, we started talking about the idea of the suburban mall being dead. They've reinvented themselves. Pre-pandemic, they started to look at themselves as lifestyle entities. You add a lifetime fitness, you add some housing, you add new amenities and offices to it, and they're thriving, and they're thriving into this new economy. The same thing with a downtown. You know, on the front end of the pandemic, Deluxe Corporation looked at their 1980s, 1990s corporate headquarters in Shoreview, my home city, and said, we're going to downsize, we're going to absorb some space in Minneapolis, and we're going to rethink how we think about our office space. Just in the last couple of weeks, we heard Thomson Reuters, a 150-year-old Minnesota company, said, we want to stay here, but we know that this 200-acre campus in the suburbs isn't meeting the needs of our employees. They want access to lots of different restaurants, to retail shopping, to different experiences. They want downtown Minneapolis. They want downtown St. Paul. They want a vibrant urban core, and we can provide that. But do they really want fantasy land? I mean, is this going to be a doable thing for a lot of these companies? Let's talk about those buildings you mentioned. Are there other purposes? Do they just get demolished or do they start becoming housing units or something else? I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, the deluxe example is on the front end of it. It is, you know, I drive by it every day. It's being torn down right now. There's a master plan. There's going to be housing there. There's going to be some retail there. The city's been really intentional about the highest and best use 
for that site. I think that partnership with our corporate partners who are potentially vacating and the cities into what that next use is, is exciting. And instead of a collective sigh of grief, we should be looking at this as an opportunity. I'll look at the Ameriprise example from, again, a couple of weeks ago. Here's a longtime downtown Minneapolis tenant that announced that they are vacating one of their buildings. They're consolidating their density of people into their own building and reinvesting and doubling down on downtown Minneapolis. We shouldn't grieve that. We should look at that as a great opportunity for us. We sometimes are measuring the wrong things. I talked to the mayor and other leaders about this. Would we rather have two buildings that are 40% occupied or one building that's 80% occupied with the opportunity to bring new energy into that space? I think the future is about density. Right. And maybe in that building that's 80% occupied, maybe that other 20% can be lifestyle things like health clubs, recreation, a Ferris wheel even. Who knows? I mean, it's like the sky's the limit at this point. Well, let's talk about some of the numbers because according to Brookings Institute, These are some numbers from some of these different cities. San Francisco suffered a 6.3% population loss between 2020 and 2021. New York lost 3.5%. Washington, D.C. and Boston each lost 2.9%. We're talking about millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people, depending on which city. They're real numbers, and we've certainly lost our share in the city of Minneapolis and across the region. I think that's going to recalibrate over the course of the next 18 months. We've gone through this global public health crisis. Things are starting to normalize. The work week is becoming a little bit more clear. I think two to three days is going to be pretty consistent into the future with regards to how people show up and work. And as we move into the next three to four quarters, I think you're going to see people come back. You're going to see things normalize and stabilize. And then we're going to have a real opportunity as civic leaders and business leaders to to envision what that future looks like. So in a way, Jonathan, I want to remind people, we first spoke with Jonathan on the crisis files in our case file called Rethinking Remote. So what you just said had me flash back to that. I recommend our listeners go back and listen to that if they haven't yet or revisit it, because some of the topics remain You said then that employers that don't get with the times are going to lose, and they really need to measure what's happening as well as what their employees want. What advice do you have for employers and city planners now? Well, at that time, we talked about this tension between the employer and the employee and the reality that for the longest time, probably the longest in recent history, employees really had the upper hand. That is starting to shift back. We are seeing unemployment soften. We are seeing inflation have a a real impact. We're seeing the move from the Fed challenge the economy. The Federal Reserve is putting everything they can at trying to slow down this fast-moving, almost impenetrable economy. At some point, we're going to see that equalization. And business leaders that I'm talking to want people in person. They also want to create that flexibility and whatever that new thing is. So the advice that I would provide is listen to your people and don't listen to them once a year. You'll find a a constant feedback loop and it doesn't have to be a formalized survey. It can be some anecdotal check-ins and touch points with key leaders and key constituencies to make sure that you're responding. Because what I think we're going to see over the course of the next 18 months is this continuation of a fast-moving, changing, evolving climate and culture And business leaders need to be more responsive than they've ever been. I would say the same thing to cities, and it's harder for cities because they often work on election cycles and they're working on a 10, 20, 30 year timeline, not a quarter by quarter timeline. So city leaders need to think about being more agile, more nimble, more responsive to their residents and to the businesses that want to evolve and commit and invest in their community. 
So, Jonathan, let's just put Minneapolis-St. Paul and all their burbs aside for a moment. Let's just put our cast wide to the whole nation. Is there a city that you can point to and say, you know, they're doing X, Y, or Z really well. We should all study what they're doing over there. I don't think there's one city that's getting it all right. I think there are a dozen cities that are doing things really well. I would point to Detroit. Detroit has a 40-year history of digging itself out of a an industry that collapsed, of you know, some real serious urban demise. They're an example today of a city that is seeing continuous reinvestment, a downtown that continues to grow and thrive. You look at Columbus, Ohio as a good example, a community that is attracting some real new corporate capital, billions of dollars in Intel investment. There are these examples across the country. And as I talk to my civic peers in our region, those are the things that we're looking to. Who's doing these things over here in new and different and innovative ways? And how can we take that and replicate it or ideally do it better than they are um, as we envision the future of our region? You know, I love hearing that you mentioned Detroit on a good list of sorts. My final TV reporting job when I was a TV news reporter was in Detroit. I left that market early 2006, so a while ago, and at the time was still coming out of, digging itself out of the hole that you reference. But you could see the people wanted it. I've always been a big proponent of downtown Detroit, of Detroit, the city proper. And I'm so glad that you, because you study all these things around the country, are mentioning that Detroit is a great example. And I hope that that message gets out there to the rest of the country. What about wellness and the arts? Because I would say Minneapolis ends up on lists, and even St. Paul and Rochester, of course, with Mayo, on a lot of lists for wellness, support for the arts. Are we going to take a hit in those areas? Or do you think civic and business leaders are saying, no, we are going to stay on top? I think business and civic leaders are absolutely saying we're going to stay on top. We've watched ourselves fall a little bit on some of the lists. We're all on notice with regards to that, but we continue to see significant financial investment and leadership investment in those spaces. I think there's a recognition that we need to continue to be the very best place to live, work, and do business. And that arts and culture piece is a huge piece of it. I think we talked a little bit the last time we sat down about the potential for hosting a World Expo in 2027 with a theme of Healthy People, Healthy Planet, which is so core to who we are, not just from a lifestyle standpoint, but from some of our key industries, whether it's healthcare, the very best healthcare that you can get in the world, to organizations like Lando Lakes and General Mills and Cargill who are literally feeding the world. And these are household brands. That's right. And they're in, at least where we're recording, our backyard. What are some of the things that get you excited, just countrywide, that anyone listening could be like, oh, let me go check in on this in my own city where I am? I think the things that get me excited are this rapid response and change to the built environment. We talk a little bit about housing and housing in urban areas. There is tremendous square footage available for conversion. It's expensive, but in a lot of cities across the country, including right here, a lot of that is being Class C. It is perfectly positioned to be converted into high-density housing that's going to spur the future of the economy. So I get most excited about the cities that are thinking forward, the cities that aren't longing for the day, as we could easily, where 218,000 people came downtown to work every day, but are thinking about how do we create a workforce of 400,000 people? And on any given week, 150 to 175,000 of them are downtown in some way, shape, or form. And another 75 to 100 are living 
downtown. And again, you can look at the past as an example of where things can go. Nashville used to be a pretty sleepy city. They built this arts and culture hub. They built a density of residential population. And then the office towers started to build up around it. And today they have industry. And we have a history here in Minneapolis-St. Paul of doing exactly that. So there's a little bit of our past can guide the future, but we have to be ready for it. Let's quickly talk about retail because there's so much online shopping. How does retail stay relevant and will retail be able to help downtowns no matter where you are in the country? I absolutely believe there's a future for retail in downtowns. I'll go back to what I've said already on this cast. It's not going to look like it did. Like the future of a million square feet of big box retail in downtown. And we all long for it, right? Like, I wish there was an eighth floor auditorium. I wish there was a river room. I wish for some of those things. Look at the North Loop as a great example. In Minneapolis. In Minneapolis of what the future of retail downtown could be. Small, boutique, high-touch experiences. Walkable. Walkable. All right. Well, as always, you are the optimist in the room. I mean, I'm a glass half full kind of person, but you're like, cup is always runneth over. And that's why we love him. (laughs) Thank you so much, President and CEO of the Minneapolis Regional Chamber, Jonathan Weinhagen. Your insight is always so refreshing. Today's Crisis Brief brought to you by Spoke 612 Productions. Number one, downtowns need to be agile and nimble. Number two, create reasons to be downtown other than work. A downtown where people play, live, and visit is a vibrant downtown. Number three, communication among government, hospitality, and business is a must. Spoke 612 Productions takes your ideas and brings them to life. Linda, Sarah, and Matt are committed to excellence and inclusivity. As a WeBank certified women-owned production company, Spoke 612 inspires awareness and delivers impact through storytelling. When you put your project in their hands, Spoke 612 draws on their own talents and experience to ensure they tell the best possible version of your story. Visit their portfolio at Spoke612.com. Thank you to my podcast co-producers, Tom Hamilton of Undertone Music, and Kim Inslee. Catch up on all our case files. Go to thecrisisfiles.com for our archive, plus special video elements. You can also subscribe to our YouTube page on thecrisisfiles.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at The Crisis Files. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files. <laughs>